Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, Kevin McDonnell here and welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. I'm really excited about this week's episode of the podcast because I am joined by the one and only Shimon Rudic from MS Law. For anyone who doesn't know Shimon Rudic, he is the leading creative property solicitor in the UK. His firm MS Law have helped many investors right across the country to secure creative property investment deals. Maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, can you really do creative deals? Well, not only can you do them, they are legal, and I have Mr. Legal himself with me. So, Shimon, thanks for joining us. How are you? Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Shimon Rudik. So, um, creative property and legals and stuff, I guess, um, a lot of people you meet and they go, can you really like buy a house for a pound or can you really cre- do deals creatively? Can you, is it just traditional buying? So what would you say that people listening in or watching going, um, you know, creative property is not possible? Absolutely. It's, uh, it's the next level, you know, everybody can buy property in the normal way and just offer more than a fellow property investor. And then you just, in order to upbeat your competition, you pay more than anyone else. So if you want to still make money using less capital, you use creative strategies. I mean, you can learn more from Progressive and Kevin. Uh, but uh, we, we were the first one to ensure that uh, lease options were uh, structured in, uh, legally in this country because lease options started already 50 years ago in the States. And, uh, and by the beginning, this country over a decade ago, they were not done properly. And, uh, and then we were the first one to teach most of the other creative strategies. So, uh, so you concentrate in learning how to do it. We do the legal simple. On the legal side, you say you, you made it legal in the UK. So what, how long ago was that that you, you like started to get Oh, the first time I taught this option was around 15 years ago. 15 years ago. So the sort of end of the 2000s. Yeah, yeah. just when the market was about to crash. Right. And we got these options were around already before, but you know, for those of you that were already investing, remember there was great mortgage express, so they were giving you 100% on the, on the purchase price. And actually, they, you, if you, you knew how to do prop, you could get even more than the purchase price from mortgage express. So why needing to go creative when you have a bank willing to give you more money that you pay for a property? And, uh, but uh, I remember the first time a client came to me asking for uh, helping on these options. And for me, it was like, what the heck are they? Never heard about them. But I wasn't uh, so haughty to pretend I know everything. So if I never heard about it, it's rubbish. And so I started to uh, do my research and uh, understood how they worked. And uh, uh, understood that the complications on, on the lease option side from uh, the legal side, but uh, I also understood that, that there were plenty uh, opportunities for investors in, this, in the market uh, using them, because I'm also a property investor myself, right? Uh, and so that we got involved and then we got a barrister to help us drafting the, the, the paperwork. The, so the paperwork that uh, many other solicitors now use for uh, lease options is the one that we drafted over a decade ago. Now, when you, when you talk about lease options, obviously it's a right to buy a property, but not the obligation to buy. Yep. Um, when you buy traditionally, there's one way to buy. So you'd buy a property, you'd put down a deposit, you'd get a mortgage, you'd buy the house, you might buy cash. Mm-hmm. Is 
with a lease option, is there just one way to do them? <coughs> Loads of ways to do them. Um, really, you can just do whatever your mind allows you to do, I guess, within the law. Absolutely. There are pros and cons in everything else. On the one hand, uh, you're kind of given a blank uh, canvas that you can paint whatever you want. So, and uh, uh, I remember several years ago, over a decade ago, we wrote a set of manuals with 54 different uh, uh, strategies, but there could be more. Is uh, and uh, on the other hand, the, the disadvantage is that because you're not given parameters, people that uh, are used to be uh, uh, led by doing things always the same way, they get lost. Mm. And uh, so, so they're not they're not used to thinking outside the box. You got to think a little bit differently. Yeah, they, they get they get lost because you then then most people find it difficult to get out of the comfort zone. So, you know, I'm doing this and I'm happy, why should I do something differently? Uh, for me, it's the reverse, it's more exciting. Uh, and, uh, you know, why should I do always the same thing? Uh, you know, I've, I've been there, I got the t-shirt, next. And, uh, uh, you know, different people have different mentalities. Uh, uh, but if you want to make more money, I'm, I'm my personal opinion and experience, because I've taught over 13,000 property investors and I've been a property solicitor and an, an investor for over 20 years. Uh, if you only do things in one way, you limit the opportunities because we don't buy properties because we want to buy properties. We buy properties to make money. So instead of buying in the normal way, we can make money by doing something differently. Why well, say no? And then we are only interested to make money or to leave a legacy to our kids. In my case, it's to leave a legacy to my eight children. And so why? The legacy doesn't mean just buying in one way. Can you, for anyone listening is thinking, well, why would I want to do a lease option um, over just a traditional purchase? So when people come to you with deals um, and say, look, I've got this deal, I want you to do the legals on it on a lease option, um, what sort of scenarios work really well for a lease option? Or is there one particular one you can think of that would work really well over a traditional purchase? There are uh, several, in fairness, and the, the most typical is, uh, is uh, the most typical examples, I would say, um, assisted sale in Agridakins, where uh, the property will get a lot of uh, uplifting value with uh, not a lot of money, and either because uh, it's just what I call curb appeal, yeah. so there is no one meter high grass at the front, and or, you know, you just have to repaint the, the or re-render the front of the property to properties that maybe have uh, some structural problems or that are mortgageable. And they can mean even just missing a toilet is unmortgageable. And so you do an option, you do the works, and then you can buy it or resell it for much more than what it actually costs you. Uh, but there are also op opportunities with the largest property where you do title splits with the license, slice and dice. And or, or using an option then running a properties in a series of accommodations. Uh, and th there are many opportunities. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the ugly duckling, like assisted sales. So I guess for anybody listening, if, if you have a property where, um, let's first say it's a hundred grand house and somebody's got a hundred grand house and they really want a hundred grand for it. But if you bought it and you had to pay for finance to borrow the money on bridging and then you had to pay stamp duty and you had to pay for the refurb, you couldn't give them 100 because it might be worth 150 done up, but it'll cost you 40 on stamp duty buying costs everything. So what you're saying is rather than buy it, you would just do an option to buy, go mm -hmm. in and do the work, not pay the stamp duty, not pay any, re not pay any finance costs, 
and then just sell it on without ever buying it? Absolutely. Okay, so um, you obviously do this in terms of the legal side. You mentioned there as well that you're a property investor too. So how did you, how did you, did you, did you do invest in before legals, legals before investing? How did you get into buying yourself? I bought my first property when I was a trainee solicitor and uh, I, I was in Hull at the yep. time and I actually like Hull and uh, uh, I ended up in the conveyancing department by mistake. I was not meant to. During my training contract, I was not meant to do conveyancing. And uh, I really resented when they put me there because I have to say, it's that boring. <laughs> <laughs> conveyancing is, especially I, I was a litigator at the time. I want to be a litigator. And I was very good as a litigator. I mean, I was the first student to sue Manchester University and win and as a student, right? They weren't very happy with me after. So, um, but one of my few skills, I get friendly with people easily. So my first client, landlord, uh, client of the law firm, I got friendly with him and he was showing me that every couple of years he was remortgaging properties and almost doubling in value, literally. And uh, so one day I told him, okay, you're making so much money. We are friends. Can you find a property for me? And first he went all stiff and he was like, mm, I don't know. I says, you know, David, we're friends. What's the issue? Be blunt. And so, will you pay me a commission? I said, why not? You make money, I make money, why shouldn't you make money? And uh, so, I bought my first property that way, when I was still a trainee solicitor. So I wasn't even a, a solicitor. I knew nothing about property, I knew nothing, neither from the legal side, nor from the investor side. Uh, but it was exciting for me, you know? It was my first property. I didn't have any money, so the 6,000 pounds deposit, I still remember, was uh, money from my wife's savings. and. Uh, I don't know whether she was very trustworthy or foolish about her to trust me with her savings. And, and then when two years later we sold the property because we relocated to Manchester. Uh, okay, because she's from Manchester, not me of course, I'm, I'm from Rome. And, uh, uh, and I had to sell it because the managing agent was making a mess about it. We, not, we were not getting the rent. I made more money from that single sale than any given year as an employed solicitor. And for me it was like, I have to work 12 months, nine to seven, and I don't get the money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we do nothing, just bought it, put in a couple of years, and I sold it, I made the money. So there was, I mean, the penny didn't completely drop because after spending so many years wanting to be a solicitor, I couldn't just abandon it. And so I still spent most of the time then eventually to set up my law firm, and, and so, which I don't regret. And, uh, and only eventually later I started to buy property in a more uh, systematic way. Wh what year did you set up the law firm? Oh, good question. 17 years ago, 16 years ago, 76, uh, 16, uh, yeah, 17 years ago. Oh, okay, and then at the time it was just normal residential conveyancing and then you moved into the creative stuff. Yeah, at the time, I mean, it was already mainly, I, I was lucky that when I started my law firm, it was just me. So it was, I was the partner, the solicitor, the receptionist, the secretary. And uh, so in reality, during the day, I was out looking for clients and at night I used to do the work. I was uh, uh, lucky to have, uh, God gave me the insight to ch find clients on the internet. I found the, the first property forum from properties that didn't, doesn't exist anymore. It used to be called Singing Pig. And I started answering questions to landlords and uh, people saw that I was not well started to use me. And eventually I got uh, too busy and <laughs> started to employ most people. But I started with a r one room behind a news agent 
And in order to get inside my room, I had to go through the florist on the side. And, uh, and, uh, and that was all. And I had 6,000 pounds intensely. My first property, I had uh, 6,000 pounds. And to set up my law firm, I used 6,000 pounds that I borrowed from the bank. And, uh, uh, and then within a few months, I, I couldn't afford. I, co I, I had too many clients. I remember I called uh, my one of my best friends, and uh, Paul, Paul Galda, my, my business partner in the law firm. And I told him, wherever you are now, they will never make you partner. Come here. I make you partner on day one. So I gave him 50% of the firm. And, uh, and because you can spend only by being generous and sharing. Mm. And, and now he's a quite a successful law firm. Uh, so you've, well, in terms of successful, you're probably known as the, the biggest law firm in the property industry in terms of creative property. So um, yeah. did that, how long did it take for that to happen? Or did you, did you ever envision that that would happen when you started No, well, it's actually, it was by, at the beginning, we were dealing just with investors, and it was, that's it. And then when the market crashed, uh, as you recall, investors started to get scared. We were talking about 15 years ago. And we were already dealing mainly with property investors. So we saw investors disappearing, clients disappearing. You know, clients disappearing means no money. And, uh, and I remember for a few months, uh, uh, the rent from my properties, because I was paying for wages to stuff. And uh, Paul had the insight to go to property networking events. I remember the first time he told me, I was already a landlord, he wasn't. And I said, network event just for landlords, what's next? Network events for plumbers, electricians, I don't <laughs> know. And uh, so we went there twice and then we realized that uh, it was the natural habitat for me. Although English is not my first language, I was much better than him. And people realized also that uh, uh, I didn't just know more than the people going there, I knew more than the speakers. So I eventually was asked to speak on stage. And uh, in Manchester, actually the first place I spoke was in Huddersfield. And uh, then I was started to go around the country, was asked to speak. And I was doing just to bring clients, because, you know, the family there. So uh, within sight, uh, within two years uh, of, of the market crash 15 years ago, 75% of small firms dealing with inconveniency closed down. And we not only closed down, didn't close down, but we even increased staff. And, uh, and then I remember the first time I spoke at what was at the time the biggest uh, property networking event in the country, Berkshire, Berkshire uh, property. And I remember going there and I said, putting my goal within the next uh, two years, I want to speak there. And then I was lucky that they asked me to speak within a, a year there. And uh, that is where I met actually the first time Rob yeah. and Mark, because they also used to speak on stage there. And, uh, and then they asked me to speak at them. They used to do the super conference and, uh, and stay very grateful because I, I, I get a lot of adrenaline. Some people get scared of speaking in front of a crowd. I, I love it. I get the adrenaline. And uh, when I spoke in front of 800 people mm. at, uh, at the super conference, uh, I was beautiful. I, I mean, I didn't sleep there for two days because, you know, so much adrenaline, you know, and, uh, but uh, it was fun. You, you mentioned about scaling during the market crash. Um, there's a lot of similarities right now to the, what's happened in the market to what happened in 078, apart from they're saying it's not a banking crisis, even though a couple of banks have already collapsed. But there's definitely a financial problem happening out there. Um, do you see that the property market's going to crash? And if it does, how much and what sort of opportunities do you see? Okay, I'm going to say this, I have two different answers. Yep. From, where, where, from two different aspects. As a human being, 
I hope that the market doesn't crash. Because yeah. uh, like 15 years ago, because when market crashes, a lot of people lose a lot of money. Yeah. And jobs and, uh, and so it's, it's not happy times for most people. Now, having said that, without sounding uh, rude and uh, or heartless, market crash is great for property investors. You buy the same property for less. The rent is still the same. So your yield is much bigger. I bought lots of properties when the market crash. Market crash means, first of all, you buy the properties for less. B, all those uh, wannabe incompetent property investors that offer too much on the properties are out of the, because they're now bankrupt because they paid too much before. They didn't know what they were doing. They deserve to be out of the game. And uh, so less competition, properties for less. Uh, what's bad about the market crash now? <laughs> you know, it's more difficult to borrow money. But in fairness, if you know how to borrow. And uh, I remember when the market crashed 15 years ago, I couldn't get lending for, uh, because banks started from, we give money to everybody, we mortgage press even more, then yeah. we don't give money anymore. And they put limits. We lend only to property investors, professional property investors, to up to 10 properties, and then became up to three. But already when they said up to 10, I already had more than 10 15 years ago. And it was like, and now what do I do? And, uh, and indeed, for nine months, I couldn't buy anything with the banking. So I had to join venture and or angel investors. And then it took me nine months to get my, my uh, Lloyd's commercial, and which was very good for 10 years. And then uh, Five, six years ago, they started to go bad. So, I mean, they changed the criteria, so don't use them anymore in reality. But, uh, uh, no, no, no. The, the, the whenever there is a change, uh, changes are always good because uh, disrupt the situation. And so people that are scared to get out of the comfort zone, they, they panic. And uh, let them panic, more opportunities for me. So, will you be... You know, a lot of people listen to the media and they say, oh, bad time to buy property. I've got to stop now, do nothing. Um, in terms of, yet they know that house prices will be higher in maybe 15, 20 years' time. But is now a good time, bad time, best time for creative stuff? Things like lease options, exchange delayed completions, the assisted sale type stuff. Is, is now, a, is, are they better in a down market, a crash market, an uncertain market, or are they better in a rising the, market? There isn't it? a strategy go for everything. I like to tell you there are some stages that there is a strategy better than anyone else. There isn't. Well, we have to say that there is a strategy better for the market crash. No, there isn't. Different situations, that's the reason why it's useful to know, as you know very well, because mm. that is what you teach. The more strategies you know, the more deals you can close. Yeah. So sometimes it's... Is, uh, is, is worth having a, a strategy that uh, a normal lease option, five, seven, ten years. Sometimes you want something shorter. Sometimes you buy cash. In, in, in my commercial conversions, uh, for me, buying cash is cheaper than buying with an option. But because I invest up north, uh, if I was investing down south, uh, I would do a lease option because uh, you, you, yeah, the, 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 there are two main costs when you do developments. Acquisition costs and development costs. Up north, uh, the biggest cost is development costs, not the acquisition costs. Down south, acquiring the land, the buildings, is more expensive than developments. And so, up north, I rather save on the uh, development costs. So, I buy cash and I get lending from the bank. But if I was invested down south, where the acquisition cost is bigger, 
I rather save on the acquisition cost and I use my cash to do the development. Yeah, okay. Um, you've obviously said you earlier, you mentioned you, you've come from Rome, so... I grew um, up in Rome. You grew up in Rome? Then, yeah, what, well, 13 what? years in Rome. I've been now 27 years in Manchester. I'm white. I wasn't white when I came here. <laughs> what brought you to the UK originally? Was the education? Big mistake. Uh, <laughs> no, no money, no property. It was a very spiritual reason. I became religious. I mean, I was born Jewish, but uh, we weren't religious in any form or shape. And then I saw the light or I banged my head. The result is more or less the same because, you know, you don't think the same way anymore. And I uh, became religious, uh, and uh, there isn't a Jewish Orthodox community in Rome. And well, there are more people with a couple in the Vatican than in the Jewish ghetto, so uh, it was either England, America, or Israel. I don't speak Hebrew, so Israel was not an option. I didn't have a penny, so the States was too far. So it became England. And because I didn't have a penny, Manchester was the only option. Well, London was too. I mean, I didn't have any money for the bus. <laughs> I used to buy to university. So London was, again, not an option. So it was sunny Manchester. Ah. And then law, what, what got you interested in law? And I was interested in law. I studied law. I actually studied law in Italy first. And when I was one year from the degree, I left everything because I believed that what, that what God wanted from me. I came in, in England and I had to restart again from scratch. So in reality, I studied law for uh, a decade. Mm -hmm. The reason why for me it was difficult to just drop being a solicitor and go in property investment because, you know, after you spent, you know, I spent four years in Italy, then four years here, then two years the, the, the legal practice, uh, and, uh, and so one year the legal practice, then the two years of the training contract. Uh, I also have a master in business. Uh, I, I, I spent a decade in higher education. I'm not saying it's a worth of time, but uh, if someone today asks me, is it worth going to university if it's to make money now? If you have a vocation, you want to be a nurse, a doctor, I don't know, then yes. But if you go to university just to make money, no, don't. You're wasting a lot of years that you could just go into property. Cheaper to, to learn from courses, progress, and things like that, than, than going to university. Much quicker and much more money. So, no higher education for my kids. So, obviously, you went through that university, you became a solicitor, you then got into property as well. Do you consider yourself now a more investor in property or more a solicitor or are you a mix? What would you say in terms of percentage-wise? <laughs> yeah. Well, by nature, I'm a mix of everything. And I like to think I'm both because uh, the legal side helped me as an investor and as a developer. Uh, if you ask my business partner in the firm, Paul, he will say that I'm not a solicitor. I don't think like a solicitor. He doesn't mean it as a compliment. Uh, I, I take it as a compliment, I think. And, <laughs> but it, there is no the wrong thing and right thing. Different people have different set of skills and assets. I'll, I'll, uh, when I was a solicitor, I was a good solicitor because I tried to do whatever. Now that I don't work much as a solicitor, because you know, you cannot be a solicitor for property investors and lecturer at the same time. Can you imagine you receive uh, funny replies from the other side and your client, a property investor, goes, fine, did you say the price? Yes. Can we exchange today? So, well, today I'm in Peterborough. Tomorrow I'm also in Peterborough with you. And I should be back in Manchester on Wednesday. I can exchange on Thursday. I get killed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> property investor was something yesterday, let alone Sunday. And uh, so... Uh, so starting lecturing to, I mean, I started lecturing to bring clients to save my law firm, 
Uh, I saved the law firm but I came my career as a solicitor. So mm. already 10 years ago I stopped working as a solicitor. I mean even for my own conveyancing. When I buy a property is, uh, uh, if I can use my law firm because as you can imagine some firms, some, some lenders, I think there is a conflict of interest so I have to use other lenders. I never managed to get a lender that is good enough. Let alone, oh, I got ripped off in my last commercial development. For they, they, they really, really ripped me off. For 9,000 pounds on legal fees was really painful. From another solicitor firm? So you're a solicitor who owns a solicitor firm and you have to use a different solicitor firm for your own properties because of a conflict of interest. At least that solicitor was good. Yeah. But it was imposed by the bank and the excuse is that there was... I mean, the lender was paying for them, but still yeah. it goes on my mortgage. And uh, so from their point of view, because I, I bought the building, I mean, the GDV of the development is 1.5 million, but I bought it for 150,000 pounds, the, the, the building. So the development finance is 850. So for their point of view, 10,000 pounds is not a big deal, but for me, 10,000 pounds on something that I bought for 150,000 pounds, it's a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I meet a lot of people and they say a cost of, like something is a lot of money, the cost of legals. And I get your point in terms of a lot of money. But um, in terms of legals, it's something that I see some people try to skimp on in terms mm. of they go to a solicitor's and they want to go for the cheap solicitor to get it done because they're trying to save money. How important is it to make sure you use the right solicitor and not look at the cost, but more look at the fact that they're protecting you? Well, in, in the first place, it's not just the solicitors. You know, in, in the expression, uh, you pay cheap, you pay twice. And as property investors, we all know it. You get uh, the cheapest quote on refurbishing a property. In a few months' time, you have to do it again. Mm. And so you never go for the cheapest. Uh, there is also that expression that you have to choose two out of three, cheap, fast or good. And uh, so you cannot have all three. Uh, cheap, fast, or good. I like that. So if you had cheap, fast, or good, you choose one of the two, uh, those three. Which th which one do you choose? Well, you have to choose good for sure, right? Yes. Because I don't know, you know, you do a deal worth hundred thousand pounds, and then you you got the wrong legals. You know, the stupid economics, and uh, uh, and then you have to choose. If you have the time, use a solution that is. That's law and will complete in six months' time. Is it worth waiting six months and, and uh, or is it worth paying a few hundred pounds more and get it done quicker? Uh, we never aim to be the cheapest. We aim to be the best one. But whether we succeeded or not, I don't know. But reputation seems to didn't wasn't quick to get the reputation we got. That I, at the beginning, I used to work every day until midnight and except the Sabbath day. But even uh, the, the so six days a week, I was there until midnight, every night. And I used to live around the corner. Even my old office was around yeah. the corner. And uh, uh, so the first two years he was uh, always there. Uh, I wouldn't suggest anyone to do it, but you know, he paid off, I guess. See, you've been in, with your own legal firm for 17 years, you've become the biggest probably in the UK, um, certainly the biggest I'm You're aware not of. To my stomach, right? in not, no, uh, not that. <laughs> in terms of, le of doing creative legals, you're also a property investor, um, built a successful property portfolio. Um, why, when is, when is enough enough for what's your exit, what's next? 
I'm already. That's the reason why I, I need to change what I do all the time because uh, I achieved all my goals and uh, indeed I spent... Uh, uh, I, I don't work as hard as I used to. Definitely not. I'll, I'll, I, I don't have... That's the reason why I have to change what I do all on a regular basis because if, if I get bored... I mean, the goal was to create a legacy for my kids. Did I get that? Yeah. Like for me, one the few things like uh, I, I it gives me a lot of pleasure when my kids ask me, they tell me I have to buy a pair of shoes, for example. Yeah. If they need it, I say fine. And they know they they already they now know that they don't have to ask me is too expensive or not, because when I was a kid, for me it was exactly the reverse, and uh, we didn't have money, so for me shoes was uh, either the equivalent of the local Aldi Upim in Italy, uh, or the handle down from my cousin, which was six years older than me, which is not just hand down. He has a leg that is substantially longer than the other, so they were consumed this way. So uh, when I was uh, my early teens, my dream was to earn a new pair of Adidas shoes. Oh, I wish I could, like all the other kids, and I was the only one I couldn't. My kids can buy any kind of Adidas shoes or whatever. They don't, they don't, I mean, that's in that respect, perhaps that's spoiled. And, but I, I don't care. I'll, I'll, I know what does it mean. I know send the money as your happiness, it doesn't. Uh, but uh, they don't have to, to, to feel ashamed going around like I was. Awesome. So for, for anyone who's watching this and thinking, is now a good time to do property? Should they... Should they even yeah, ever you do property? The question, I forgot to answer it. Yeah, should they ever do property? What I asked you, you with a different question. He says, is there ever a time not to buy properties? Is there ever a time not to buy properties? There is only one time worse than now. That is never. <laughs> you always buy it. You buy when it's going up, it's going down, when it's... Th just buy. They always go up eventually. They always go up. <laughs> if people want to reach out to you, if people want to use your law firm, etc., how can they find email you? Email me. The best way to get hold of me is email me. Don't call the office. I'm never there. And uh, my email address and, uh, is Shimon, S for sugar, H for hotel, I for India, N for mother, O for Oscar, N for November, at N for mother, S for sugar, hyphen, that is the minus, low, lima alpha whiskey.co.uk. Or go on Facebook and find me there, Shimon Rudik. Or ask Kevin. He knows my email address by heart. And uh, we, besides the fact that we all know each other for over a decade. Over a decade since I was yeah. just knee high. When he still had hair. No, he didn't even have hair even then. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you coming in and sharing your journey with Thank us and talking to us a little bit about legals. You have been listening to Shimon Rudich on the Progressive Property Podcast. Remember, if you are enjoying the podcast, make sure you've subscribed. We're out every single Tuesday on iTunes and on Stitcher. So make sure you've subscribed so you don't miss future episodes. I've been Kevin McDonald. He's been Shimon Rudich. You've been amazing. We'll see you next time. Thank you.